This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about technology that affects all of us in a format that allows you to consume it in the time it takes to go to and from the grocery store. I'm your host, Lou Covey, and I probably know more about it than you do. And if I don't, I know someone who does. But first... Thank you for joining us here today on Crucial Tech. I'm Joe Basquez, and with me today is Lou Covey again. For those Hello. of you, who, hey Lou. For those of you who are regular listeners, we're going to do this again like we did last time. Uh, last time I interviewed Lou, and we're going to do that again today. Uh, Lou and I have been talking a lot about the supply chain, and in particular, technology and chips. And so we're going to talk a little bit, dig into that a little bit deeper today. Uh, for those of you who aren't really into chips or semiconductors or kind of that far into technology, some people are just into the, you know, the way their cars work or something like that. So they, they listen to us for kind of a, a, a top level view of something. So this might seem like it's a little bit uh, deep for some of you today, but I just wanted to point out that, and I was uh, mentioning this to earlier in our pre-production meeting, that Supply chain in general, regardless of what supply chain you're talking about, tends to be a just-in-time kind of thing. So this, uh, let me give you a perfect example, Lou. Uh, recently, you know, I live in Texas. Uh, we had the recent snowpocalypse, and uh, a lot of our fruits and vegetables froze and were damaged. We lost a lot of chickens, poultry, beef, milk. Uh, milk couldn't be pasteurized during that time, so a lot of it had to be poured down the drain. Uh, a few days later, you know, three, four days later, the, the ice melts, the snow goes away, and you go, great, we can get the trucks back on the road. What you don't realize is three weeks later, we still are missing some of those things in the grocery store. Because obviously, if you lose a bunch of fruits and vegetables, you have to replant that crop and wait for that, you know, to grow before you can harvest, and then the trucks can get on the road. So supply chain in general is something we should all be concerned about. It's been a hot topic in the news lately. We'll talk a little bit about that. But also, uh, it does affect everyone. So if you don't know much about the chips that and, and electronics that go into everything in your life, from your Google Home to your car in your vehicle, uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit today. So um, thanks for uh, taking the time to do this today, Lou. Yeah, Um this, you know, and we are going to be talking about the about the technology of you know, the electronics electronics world, but we have to understand something about the supply chain, as boring as it is, and how we might say, "I really don't want to know where this stuff comes from." It's more important than you might realize because wars are fought over this, and. When I was back in college, just learning to be a, a journalist, uh, that was during the Vietnam War. And you know, everybody was talking about how this is an, an immoral and how, how we need to get, stop bothering these people and we need to get out and we need to bring the troops home. But we don't really understand how the damn thing started in the first place. And... I actually looked it up back in the 1970s because this was right at the point where we were ending the war. It had been going on for two decades, starting with the French in the 1950s. And, and that's because Vietnam was a French colony at one time. And the, the French had a, had a responsibility for uh, law and order in the country. And when the uh, communists were coming down from North Vietnam, that's when they started this fight. 
But why were we so concerned about this sliver of a country in Southeast Asia? Well, at the time, the primary sources of a mineral called tungsten was Southeast Asia, and specifically Vietnam. About 90% of the tungsten that was used in the world uh, would come from Vietnam. Now, what does tungsten mean? Yeah, well, what is that? Why is it important? Well, that's the thing, is that when Thomas Edison was trying to figure out how to make an electric light bulb, what he finally figured out after hundreds of failures was that the best filament for heating up and providing the incandescent light of the light bulb was tungsten. And so without tungsten, we wouldn't have electric light bulbs. Hmm. Now, coming up to the 1950s, that was starting to change because it was around, it was in, in the, uh, the early 40s, right around World War II, uh, when supply lines were being cut and they had to figure out something else on how to make light bulbs, they started developing fluorescent lights. And on an industrial and military level, that was useful. But for general consumer use, you didn't find a whole lot of homes that had uh, fluorescent lighting until the late 1950s. And then it became widespread. And suddenly we no longer needed as much tungsten and, and as many light bulbs as we had been using before. And as soon as the West figured out we don't really need tungsten, that's when the uh, the powers that be started saying, well, maybe we should get out of Vietnam because it's costing us more money than going out for the tungsten there. So when we no longer needed uh, incandescent light bulbs, we were able to get out of the Vietnam War. And it had nothing to do with the protests. It had nothing to do with stopping communism. It was all about the supply chain. Now, that's on a global issue involving warfare and, and that sort of thing. But now we have social issues that we're concerned about. And we yeah, so that was actually my next question for you. Is that, 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 you know, that's an important point when we say it's a, it's, it should be something everyone's concerned about, right? We're talking yeah. about uh, you know, warfare, people losing their lives. But, but all those things are, let's face it, for people who are my age or even younger, right? Um, they're, they're in the past. Vietnam, things in World War II. So give me an example of where this is important today and a situation where someone who, you know, is, is uh, kind of aware of the world and what's going on today, where it might impact them or why they might change and make a certain decision based on something current. Yeah. Well, everybody wants to have an electric vehicle, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It, it, they're, they're big things now. The, not everyone can afford them. Uh, but because they're expensive, but it's supposed to be the environmentally sound thing to do. And I have to agree, you know, because I've looked in, into this stuff. Electric cars are a great way to go. Uh, and I don't even want to get into the issue of how we produce the power to charge the batteries. I want to talk <laughs> about the batteries themselves, lithium ion batteries. Okay. And actually, it goes beyond the batteries themselves. All electronics are are dependent on a mineral called cobalt. 
Cobalt is what is, is used in electronic devices and semiconductors. And about 58% of all the cobalt mined out of the world come is used in lithium ion batteries. Okay. And the primary source of cobalt is the Republic of the Congo. And in the Republic of the Congo, they have these cobalt mines, which are essentially holes that have been dug into the earth, into this red clay, where they where they dig out buckets of the, of the cobalt and they pull it up and they send it off to processing. Well, the thing is these holes are only about maybe three feet across, okay? And getting an adult human being down into those holes to dig those holes is difficult. There's not a much, much uh, work for them, you know, space for them to work. So they go, uh, they get children, under the age of 10 and lower them down in ropes and they dig out the dirt with their hands. And they are not compensated for this. The, the families may be compensated, but not very much. And it's pretty much run by the Chinese government. Let me ask you, is this widely known knowledge? Is this, are there reports out there you can get? Is this something you ran across kind of hidden? Yeah, all, all you got to do is do cobalt and child slavery, and you'll find all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but 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 it and it has been. And the thing is, is that companies like Tesla will come back and say, "Oh, we are doing everything we can to minimize the amount of child labor we are using to get these minerals," and they are they are making agreements with with uh, the, uh, the the Congolese government. And they're making, uh, putting out press releases saying they're not going to do it. They're still doing it. Okay, it may not be as much, but they're still doing it. So when we buy these materials, we need to be concerned about what they're doing. Now, if you buy, well, that's a that's a that's a social impact, right? But yeah. how, how does how does that connect really with the supply chain? Well, I, I mean. Are we, are, should we, should we say, I mean, are we at the point where the social impact is going to change what people purchase? Well, it, it makes my decision you know, pretty easy. I mean, I, I'd like to get an electric vehicle, but I think, uh, but, but what's, what's, unless I know for sure that the materials are not doing that, not enslaving children, then I've got a second uh, a second thought. It's why I I buy I will only buy certain electronic products. Uh, for example, the EU actually has very strong legislation banning the import of electronic devices using materials uh, uh, raw materials that were uh, gathered by child uh, by child labor. So if I were to buy an electric vehicle today, if I could afford it. I wouldn't buy a Tesla. I'd probably buy a Volkswagen. Tell me why. Because if you buy it in, if you buy a, an electric vehicle from the uh, from an EU manufacturer, you are guaranteed that they have they the government themselves has gone in to make sure that child labor hasn't been used to make that those cars, anything. So. We can we can be concerned about it uh, uh, as far as uh, international warfare, and we can also be we also need to be concerned about it from from 
a, a social standpoint. But at the same time, we also have to realize we've got to have more sources of this stuff. And that's actually what's going on in the United States, because there is a chip shortage in, in the world. Yeah, this is actually probably the most current uh, current event going on. I think the Biden administration uh, announced they were going to launch a, a big uh, investigation into what the United States could do to secure up the supply chain. And I think in this case, I think it was specifically for chips and semiconductors. Can you share a little bit about what they're looking at, what things they might consider? Well, what they're considering is actually giving government funding or at least major tax breaks to semiconductor companies to build fabrication factories here in the United States. We've so I think Intel just announced they were going to build two in Arizona, right? Yep. And uh, and uh, their uh, microchip is also building here. But the part of the problem here is that most of the major semiconductor fabrication factories, uh, and I, we we can name them. There there's the uh, semiconductor manufacturing uh, industry consortium, which is in Singapore, I believe. And then there's the uh, Taiwanese uh, semiconductor manufacturing corporation, which is in Taiwan. Uh, and they do, they actually produce like 80% of the chips that are used. But these, these supplies are, could be, could be restricted at any particular moment. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly why we have the chip shortage now, because the COVID uh, uh, pandemic shut a lot of these factories down. A lot of them are in China. Okay. And, and, the relationship between the U.S. and China isn't all that good right now. So they can actually decide, well, we're, we're just not going to export any of the chips that you need, period. And so this is really another reason to for, for people who aren't very deep in the weeds on this stuff to really be concerned about it. Because, if, I mean, chips are in almost everything we do, right, these yes. days. From It's not just the big things like cars. It's home lights, it's refrigerators, it's washers and dry, it's everything. Yeah. And so if we can't get access to these things, it's, it's, a, it's a big disadvantage and it's actually probably kind of dangerous. Yeah, um, I think it was uh, General Motors was saying that they, are, uh, they were gonna be putting up this uh, line of fuel efficient pickup trucks this year. Not going to happen because they can't get enough chips to be able to uh, make the fuel efficiency systems that they want to put into these trucks. So the, this supply chain issue is keeping us from getting the products that we want and producing products that we shouldn't probably buy. But and you know it, 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 it's, it's pretty interesting too because there's there's all kinds of things associated with the supply chip supply chain. You're hearing about this ship right now in the Suez Canal that's turned sideways, and all these ships are backed up in the canal, and it's going to impact everything being able to get here. It's the same it's the same type of thing we're talking about. If you can't get things in the stores for people to purchase, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And Let's talk specifically about chips too a little bit and IP protection and why that's a problem having that all overseas. Well, that is a problem. And uh, it's not just the IP protection, it's the, the IP intrusion that we've got problems with. Uh, I, I read a report from the Semiconductor Industry Association's Director of Industry Statistics and Economic Policy. This is quite, quite a, a load. 
But he said that making a semiconductor is perhaps the most highly complex manufacturing process on the planet. It can involve more than a thousand process steps and hundreds of advanced machines needed to pack tens of billions of transistors on a chip the size of a quarter. Now that's kind of impressive. Yeah, that we know semiconductor, not anybody can make a semiconductor. Okay, it's, right. it's expensive and it's hard work. But here's the problem. In the process of making those semiconductors and in the process of putting different semiconductors on different circuit boards and building different systems, you have massive security holes in that electronic supply chain. And I learned this last year when I talked to Warren Savage, who is a serial entrepreneur and now working as a uh, visiting researcher at the University of Maryland for the DARPA electronics programs. Okay, so he's con he's concerned about security. And he I heard him talk just a few months after he started this job uh, at, a, at the design con uh, last year before everything shut down. And he, he gave this talk that every engineer listening to him was rapidly taking notes and every once in a while I would say, holy shit because when they realized just how many holes there were in the supply chain, they realized everything they were doing was vulnerable. And I'm gonna be talking to uh, uh, Warren next, because uh, I wanna find out if we've actually plugged some of these holes, but he put up a map that showed at least 50 different uh, steps along the supply chain where something could something could be inserted that could, cause um, massive data uh, intrusions. So so 50 steps sounds, I mean, it's an enormous number, right? So it's yeah. not just the function of, you know, like you just explained China saying, we're not gonna ship you the chips. Right. Uh, there's some, there, there are dangers all along the pathway. Yeah. I'm glad you're gonna talk to Warren again, because uh, it's important to know if we close some holes, but I, I, it's also important uh, to, I mean, like I said, we could go into a million different directions here. So I'm glad you're going to kind of dig a little deeper on some of these. What are, what are some of the, I don't want to say the easiest solutions, because I don't think there's anything easy here along this path. But what are some things that could be implemented for solutions? You know, I'm still looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as now, is the U.S. government, as yeah. is a lot of companies. As well, as, as I said, I'm going to be talking to Warren about what his research at University of Maryland has been like, because that's what he's specifically focusing on. Uh, I get uh, contacted by different um, companies a lot about talk, talking about protecting the supply chain. Uh, the problem is that most of the solutions they're talking about are focusing on protecting intellectual property, not actually securing the device itself. Uh, it it th seems like this to me though, is one of those things that's very much like security. Uh, and I don't know, you have to tell me about the emails you get, but it seems like even if they were protecting a, a certain point that it wasn't just IP, they would be protecting one point in that chain link and there'd be 49 other holes that we still have to cover. Yeah, and that's that's the problem, not only with security, but with the supply chain. Right. Because th there are companies trying to work on it. And I'm gonna be uh, doing some research on some announcements that came out from Lattice Semiconductor. I got a note from uh, a former colleague, uh, 
Clive Maxfield. If you're listening, Clive, thank you very much for this. Uh, but uh, Lattice is actually coming out with a field programmable gate array. That's what they make. And we won't get into the detail of what that means, but it's essentially a, a, a programmable processor. And its sole job is to uh, identify when malicious uh, code has been inserted into the firmware. So I'm going to be interested in seeing what they're what they're doing. Uh, Wolf SSL, uh, they, they, they keep pushing me to talk to them about stuff like that. But again, in both of these cases, based on what they've sent me so far, we've got this bucket with 50 holes in it. And these guys have plugged two of them. And, and that's okay. Like we say about security, you have to start somewhere. So yeah. I'm glad you're going to do a series on this and kind of dig a little deeper in each of these, kind of figure out where the other holes still are and vulnerabilities. But for everybody, I mean, this is this is important stuff. If you can't, you know, if you want to purchase the Tesla and you can, or you want to get, you know, just electric vehicles in general, or you want a Google Nest or Home or, you know, all these things uh, and you can't get them, uh, it's a real issue. Yeah. And, you know, talking about, you know, the Nest and all, all the stuff we get for, for having these smart homes, you got to realize that if a, a, a criminal, you know, whether they are uh, sponsored uh, by the government or they're on their own, if they're able to slip in some malware into one of your devices, they can take over your entire network. Uh, I, did, I did a report uh, a few months ago about an electric tea kettle that was being sold in the UK that was had a Bluetooth connection. So in other words, you could you could call your tea kettle from home, uh, from your car on the way home so that the water would be hot so you can make your tea when you come get home. Well, the thing is they didn't secure the Bluetooth connection in that kettle. And researchers found they were able to hack into a home network through the tea kettle and the Bluetooth connection. You know, I think that's the interesting thing, right? Because I think a lot of companies, when they build things like this, they go, great. Someone wants to go home. They want to have tea. We'll have it all set up. Great. They don't stop to think. And, and they think, you know, this is just a tea kettle. Why would someone hack this? Why would someone want to? We don't need to put thought and money into security, right? Right. But the idea that, that later they could get into your entire network and get to the more important things kind of slips by. And, and here, here's a telling thing. I, I was approached by a publication uh, and just this over when I'm still working for a cyber protection magazine, I am the US editor and I'm, I'm loving it. Things are going really well. But another publication contacted me and they are specifically focused on smart buildings. And they wanted to know if I had any ideas about articles that I might want to write. And they gave me their editorial calendar and I took a look at it about uh, the, it was, it was an, uh, an issue about uh, data uh, sharing within a smart building. And I said, well, I think I'd like to write a piece about the um, uh, security aspect of this. And their response was, nobody who reads our magazine wants to know about the security of this, of this stuff. <laughs> 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 you know? Pay no attention to the little man behind the curtain. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's that's another problem here. Not only in security, but it, but also also in the, the supply chain, because for decades now, people have decided that somebody else is responsible for it, 
And I've seen this over and over again in talking with uh, corporations about their products. When there is a a, pro a security problem, uh, they the, uh, the software people will say, "Well, that's a hardware problem," and the hardware problem guys, the hardware guys will say, "Well, no, that's a software problem." And then you go to the security guys who are supposed to be in the loop about this stuff, and they say, "The hardware and software guys won't talk to us." <laughs> So, yeah, it, there's lots of finger pointing and nobody taking responsibility. And the only way at this point that I think we can actually deal with the problem of the supply chain and the security in the supply chain is if the consumer themselves finally says, we've had enough of this crap. You guys need to start making better products and we're not going to buy anymore until you do. That is a tough ask given the convenience that all of these things bring to our lives. Yeah. But I'll give you an example of why this is really important. And this is something that anyone and everyone should be able to relate to. Uh, you know, if someone were to put some malware in your power company or even in your single house and, and knock out your power, and you, you, we essentially are blind, deaf, and dumb without a generator or something of that nature. You're cold, you're hungry, or you're too hot and you can't air it. And I know, because I just experienced this not that long ago, right? Uh, if this was done on a wide scale, this would be a massive, massive problem. Yeah. And it's not going to happen until we do something about it. And that's why I'm kind of happy. You know, you know, I, I am not a guy who likes government interference in business or personal lives. But you know, my, one of my personal heroes is a guy named Adam Smith. He wrote a book in, the, in 1700 called The Wealth of Nations. And in it, he says, government has three responsibilities. And I won't get into all three, I'll just say the second one. The second one is to make sure that the society is safe and equitable. And when companies stop being concerned about the safety of their customers and their workers and treating people equitably, it's the response, according to Adam Smith, and, the, and just so you know, the wealth of nations is the foundation, foundation stone for the whole concept of capitalism, okay? And Adam Smith said, when corporations do that, governments must step in. That's the capitalist way of doing it. And frankly, industry just hasn't been doing their job on this. They, they've been so looking for I, I can see that being a controversial statement. So I am really hoping that you get some comments from people who are listening. If you if you know if, if they want to argue that point or if they have a different view, please, please feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got a sign on my back right now saying, kick me now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take and, this the wrong way. I hope they do because I love the interaction. Okay, and let, let, me, let me explain um, how, you might, how people might be able to do that. If you go to anchor.fm slash uh, Crucial Tech, uh, you will see a button in the upper left-hand, uh, right-hand corner uh, that says, leave a comment. Uh, and you can record a one-minute comment I'd like to hear from you. Uh, you can also go to cyberprotectionmagazine.com 
And uh, you can uh, leave a comment uh, on an article or, or contact us there. Or you can contact me directly at footwashermedia.com slash contact. Uh, it's all there and I can take it. Let me have it. <laughs> I think that's a great way to close. So this has been Crucial Tech with Joe Basquez and Lou Covey, a Footwasher Media production.